Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to Marmalineal Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. And last episode, we talked about before you buy, what do we need to do? What boxes do we need to tick to make sure that we're ready to go and buy property in the most efficient, competent manner? Uh, this episode, Emily, we are talking about the search itself and how to secure a property, whether that be owner-occupier or investors. So if you haven't checked out the previous episode, please go and do that because that will make a whole heap of sense. Uh, This will follow straight on from that one. So uh, let's get into it. Let's do it. So John, I think part two is really the juicy part of it, right? We're actually getting out there, we're seeing properties, we're searching and securing, which I think is the fun part. Absolutely. Some people find it daunting. Stressful. Stressful. Yep, that's certainly a word that comes to mind. Yeah. So, and that raises a point. Uh, if you get to this stage and you're like, right, I'm pretty sure I've got my strategy. I pretty much know my borrowing capacity or I've got my pre-approval. Um, but this search thing stresses me out or I haven't got enough time mm. or I thought I had time but now I realise it's a bigger beast than, a, than uh, just going and buying something at auction next weekend, we might need to outsource it. Now, this is not a plug to use Emily or John. It's just simply a case of saying, well, sometimes we just need to stay in our own lane yes. and and get someone outside that can dedicate their expertise to getting a result for us. I agree. And I think more and more people are valuing their time and where their own expertise lies. So it's not uncommon for something as big as buying a property that you yeah. might seek some independent help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and when you look at the percentage you pay based on the purchase price, right, it, it's pretty small in comparison. It does sometimes seem an amount that's like, oh, I can avoid that and I'll, uh, I'll go and do it myself. But when you work out the time you've spent, potentially how much you may have paid more than what uh, a BA could secure it for you, mm. then you may actually lose out. Indeed. So something to consider, but if you're all guns blazing, you're keen to get into the nitty gritty yourself and go out and about, I think do be prepared that it does take time and it can take time. John has a rule, don't you? Do I? Yeah. He's like, 110 what, what, one. Yeah, there you go. He's like, <laughs> what's the rule, Emily? I've got a few rules in my life, but <laughs> yes, 110 one. So uh, search for 100 may not mean go and, and physically inspect 100 because the, the uh, online is pretty competent these days, or at least get videos of 100, put offers in on 10 and purchase one, right? Now, 
some people have come to me and say, oh, John, I've, uh, I've only got 85 that I've been through, but I'm pretty confident that I've, I know the market now. I'm like, great. It doesn't need to be 100. I just created that because it rounded out nicely and it sounded better. <laughs> <laughs> but if you would you agree that if you were just to, to look at five, put an offer in on one and buy one, that you may not have a full understanding of the market? If you're going alone, Yes. Mm. If you're using a BA, they speed up the processing, framing yes. the market. But certainly if you're going it alone, getting to as many as possible is really key. Some people will say, oh, but what if, like I just had this feeling about the first one I went and now I feel like it's the one that got away. Yeah. There is an element of trust your gut to a degree. I would say less so in the investment space than the home buying though. I feel like investment's very data, numbers, analytical driven. Yes. Home buying, it could be the one that pops up in the first week you're looking. Yes, yeah. I think with investment, yeah, you, you don't want to buy the first thing you see because, as you mentioned, there are, there's another best buy on, on the next street in the next week. Uh, I think it's waiting out for that, but you do have some non-negotiables when it comes to buying your own home. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so we've got to the stage in the last episode where – we may have established a, a, an Excel document or a Google Sheets or something that outlines clearly what our strategy is and our approach, our borrowing capacity, what our repayments are, knowing that we've got our buffers in our life, knowing that we've got our, our mindset right. We're pretty much going to start the search. So in your world as an owner rock, what would you suggest? Uh, how, how do we get the ball rolling? I think the biggest thing is really to get out there. So, But probably before you even get out there, leverage the tools that are online. So realestate.com and domain, I'm very much a realestate.com user personally. Same. Some people like domain, but yeah. realestate.com has a new feature now where you can put a property planner in for your weekend rather mm-hmm. than adding it to calendar and just start to map out what that looks like. I think in the beginning, particularly going alone, you need to start to be known to the agents if you're going to get any in on any properties that are not on market. It's probably very key. And the other thing is you want to make it known that you are a serious buyer. Mm. You're in this marketplace to secure a home. Might take a little bit to do, but you really need to niche down on your area and start getting to properties. Now, I would suggest for your reference point, particularly in week one and two of searching, that you start to look at properties that are definitely out of budget so you know what that equals and you look at properties that are below your ideal budget so you also understand what that equals So you get a really good framework for articulating properties and also spotting properties that are underquoted because that does happen a lot, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So you get a a round knowledge of what your budget actually equals and why. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So that agent relationship is really key, isn't it? And and, uh, obviously in, in the BA world, it's, it's imperative. I find, and I I tell people that, that uh, are in our inner circle to go and, approach an agent like they're our best friend. Mm -hmm. Now, you might be sitting here listening to this saying, why the hell would you do that? Um, But majority of people in society do the opposite. They go to the open home, they'll keep their head down, they'll go in, come out, ideally without having to put their details in, right? So let's 
let's do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. Let's engage the agent. Let's um, talk to them about how long the property has been on the market, why the vendor is selling. Uh, are they flexible with certain things in, in the sale? Do they want a longer or shorter settlement? Talk to them about how busy the market's been. Talk to them about how many uh, open homes we've run and how many has come through the house to look at it. Like, get that relationship building because the agent wants the process to be simpler, not harder. So mm. if they don't know that you're even at the open then how are they going to ring you and say, look, Emily, I've got this uh, off-market opportunity that you may be interested because you said to me, this is your brief and now I've got something that really fits that. And also an insider tip that some people might not quite realise. Some agencies, the way they're structured is they have sales agents or sales associates who are there to list and sell property. They then have what they call a buyer's associate or a buyer's agent, different to what John and I are in terms of independent buyer's agents, but they have someone within the office network who manages the buyers. If you're a buyer out there, start making friends with those people because they're there to manage you and match you to properties, whereas you might find some of the straight selling agents are very much about listing and selling and you will often run into the problem if you're a first-home buyer, you've got nothing to give to them to sell right now. So, you know, short-term mindset, but unfortunately sometimes they're not that keen on helping you. Yes. So find those buyer's associates within those brands that can help you. Very good tip, very good tip. And so you can go to somewhere like Rate My Agent and you can find the best agents in in your area and hopefully that's a, a reliable source. And you can contact them and say, look, what have we got coming up? This is my brief, et cetera. And as you said, talk to their associates because a lot of the really good agents in in a lot of areas will not have time to continually ring people back. So that's where their associates come into play. So get to know them really well, yeah? Correct. All right. So getting to know the agents, uh, let's maybe think strategic and say, well, how else can we uh, maybe not bypass the agent but just try and get ourselves a sale? Definitely. So I think think the biggest thing when you're looking to buy a property is if you are refined in an area, a neighborhood, even down to a street sometimes, maybe you've seen something sell on a street that if you had your time again, you would have jumped at it. So it's not uncommon. Well, probably is a little bit uncommon, but it shouldn't be that you could actually approach a vendor directly. You could letterbox drop. You might have met a neighbour at an open home who's browsing through the open to see what their place might be worth. You can get quite specific. Uh, The thing you need to understand in doing that is if there isn't an agent involved in the transaction, more often than not, the vendor is a bit ambitious about what their property is worth. Mm. So whilst it is good to beat competition and be the only one approaching them directly, you personally need to have a really good handle on what you feel that property is worth so that you're not overpaying where the vendor, you know, isn't really a seller, but they'll sell at a price. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. So we can let a box drop as much as we want, but nothing beats understanding the market, know what's sold in the street and the suburb and, and like for like properties that you're looking at. So you're going in with that level of knowledge when you're talking to the vendor or the agent. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you do jag a letterbox drop phone call, and say, right, we're interested in selling our property direct to to potentially you, and the agent isn't involved, you can still get an agreement drawn up and you still engage a conveyancer. Nothing changes other than the fact that you're dealing with that vendor direct as opposed to the agent coming in. 
Correct. And I'm seeing more and more of that. There are vendors who are happy to sell without an agent involved. Like I said, just be careful about the pricing. Often we all think our home is worth more than it actually is because we love it. So just be careful. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Momentum's a big one, isn't it? Yes. So I think we spoke last um, episode about the – if we're just searching on weekends, it's probably not going to be enough. We need to be attending to this pretty much daily. And that doesn't mean eight hours a day, five days, seven days a week. It, it just means checking in on realestate.com domain, checking in with agents, um, setting our letterbox drops is that what we're doing. But it might be just an hour, hour and a half a day just doing that sort of stuff to keep the momentum building to be able to get a result in a short time frame. And, and I, we have so many people come to us to say, yeah, we want to use your service because we've been searching for six months yeah. and we haven't been able to find something. Well, when we dig deeper on that, generally what's happened is the momentum hasn't been consistent. So I've, I, I looked for three weeks and then I went quiet because work was busy and I went on holidays or, or something happened. And so that momentum and consistency is really critical. Definitely. And a good practical thing to do alongside that Excel or Google Sheets that you've got going is actually keep a, a record of properties that you've either viewed online or in person the asking price for that, your estimation of what you think it will sell for and then what it actually sells for, very basic formula you can put in and just note the percentage difference because what I find a lot is people see a quote range, 7 to 7.50 and they go, well, I've got 7.20 so I can definitely go and you yes. know, be in it with a shot and it takes them a few weeks to realise where the market's sitting and that not always do properties sell in their quote. In some states, you don't even get a quote range to go off, so you need to speak to the agent about what they're thinking the price range will be. But it's a really good exercise to understand how on the money are you Mm. with uh, estimating sale prices of what you have viewed. Yeah, I love that. So you're looking at potentially understanding the market and the heat of that, aren't you, mm. by doing that? You're saying, right, I've got a guide. The price guide is 600 to 650 It ended up selling for 640 right? That's within the guide. Okay, great. That's a feeling of a, a reasonably balanced market. Yes. If it's gone for 570 or oh, hang on a minute, the days on market seem to be a bit longer. Um, agents are ringing me versus me having to chase an agent up. So the, the tides have turned here. It's now a buyer's market. And that's what we're seeing at the moment is a, much more of a buyer's market than a sales market. So what your, your, your tip there is, is to you get a feel for the market to be able to not rush in and buy something if it's a, a buyer's market. Correct. And just keep in mind, the agent's job is to get the highest price possible for the vendor. Mm. So whilst I wouldn't say that agents lie to buyers, <laughs> no. because funnily enough, agents always say buyers are liars. That's definitely an industry <laughs> quote, buyers are liars. Uh, they certainly aren't going to point out anything bad that would hinder the campaign. Yes. So just remember that they act for the vendor, not yeah, for you. Absolutely. Okay. So we've got our Google Docs happening. We've uh, we're making some really solid notes on the properties that have sold beforehand. We're looking at days on market. We're looking at percentage over or under the the asking price. We've got a really good feel. We've got a handle on the market. We're, we're nearly at the stage that we're starting to, to put in some offers. Now, that might be two weeks, three weeks, four weeks into the process. Uh, depends on your knowledge level coming into the process to begin with, doesn't it? 
Indeed. And this is where I think a lot of people potentially, you know, your first time buying a property, they go, oh, what happens next? I found the property now. Now what do I actually mm. do? And there is a level of variance state by state and we're not going to go into itemise every state. No. But one key person you really should have on your site by this point in time is a conveyancer. Yes. You actually need a conveyancer to transact the property for you. That's It's a requirement. You actually have to have one. It's not a not an option. Uh, and it's certainly not a service that you should cheap out on. A lot of people go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going with this conveyancer because they're only $600. No. Well, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, absolutely there is. And and you can use a solicitor. A solicitor yes. is a different from a conveyancer. Generally, the solicitor will charge you a little bit more than that. Um, so I, I think a, a conveyancer, like you mentioned, is, is fine for that. But uh, yeah, let, let's take a break, shall we? And we will come back and talk about how to secure a property. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
else's out there. If there is anyone, you might be bidding against yourself and, and you've just paid too much for it in that situation. But in a, in a cold market or a, even a balanced market, the best offers buy will not work mm-hmm. because there won't be enough momentum out there to secure that. And they might not even go to auction. They might even be more inclined to buy before auction because, or sorry, sell before auction because the uh, the auction hasn't got enough registered bidders. That's happening a lot at the moment. Is it? Certainly there's really evident there's just one buyer on the property going to auction. They don't want that to be the case in the actual auction itself because it's really awkward to get just one person to buy and to bid. <laughs> Doesn't so, look good on the video, does it? Oh, no. <laughs> we want an action-packed auction, not a dud. Yeah. So often the agents are quite clever in identifying that key buyer and getting them to place an offer beforehand and avoid the auction. So mm. more generally the way an auction plays out is – and I do believe the rules are um, the same for the major auction states, but certainly in Victoria, the auction rules is that the property is sold unconditionally to you. So if you win at auction on the day, you can't be subject to finance, you can't do your building and pest after, that is absolutely done and final, there's no cooling off. One thing people need to realise as well is the auction rules apply three business days prior to and post the auction date. So the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the lead up, the auction on the Saturday, but then also the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday following once the property, if it's passed in and it's still lingering on the market. So when you're navigating placing an offer prior to an auction potentially, rather than bidding in the auction itself, if it is the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before or the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after, it still has to be unconditional and a lot of people don't know that. No, that's right. And and in a lot of states, the, the contract, because it's an auction contract to begin with, is unconditional regardless of when you bought it. So, yeah, absolutely. And that, that just comes back to that good conveyancer, doesn't it? To, yes. To make sure, well, okay, that's fine. You are putting in an offer before auction. Just realise that yeah, there's no, you are going unconditional, finance is, uh, yeah, sorted. So building and pest, uh, now maybe go back a step and say, well, what sort of offers are we putting in conditional to? Sure. So usually the, the key conditions that we would see is subject to building and pest, which would be a report that you get done by a building a pest provider. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, actually, this is something that's been brought up a lot recently. If your offer is subject to a building and pest inspection and a major structural defect comes back, in most contracts, the wording is that the inspection must be completed by a registered builder. Now, one thing you need to know is in order to operate as a building and pest inspector, you don't have to legally be no. a registered builder. No. So if you're entering into a property that you actually have concerns about the structure, I would highly, highly recommend you get someone who's a building and pest inspector who is also a registered builder so that if you want to act on that clause, you can withdraw on those grounds. Okay. So let's play that out for a minute because that's really important, isn't mm. it? So. We go and get the building and pest inspection. We've got a subject to satisfactory building and pest inspection clause in there. Yep. Um, The building inspection comes back as a major defect. Yes. We go and hire a registered builder to then go in again or for the first time for them Mm -hmm. and then check that major defect out. Mm -hmm. Can they then say, yeah, there's actually a major defect here? Um, even though they weren't the one that did the building inspection. So probably what the biggest thing around this is, is the wording of the access for the building and pest inspection. So in the contracts, usually it says access for the purpose of A, 
not multiple, yeah. a building and pest yeah. inspection. So to be honest with you, it really depends how rigid the agency is on their terms and how yes. hard and fast the vendor's representative in the conveyancing space or solicitor mm-hmm. is on their um, terms and conditions. But uh, I think to be safe, I would always use a registered builder from the, from the outset. Yeah. And then that way you're not ending up in any hot water and you can safely withdraw from the contract. Yeah. And, and you'll find that a lot of them aren't. Yeah. So that's that's the issue out there. Now, how does that play out? If you get a building and pest inspection done as a major defect, they're not a registered builder, but they've been doing it for 20 years. I'm comfortable enough that, yeah, as a major defect, I'm out of there. We just need to understand that the agent may not agree to that if they wanted to. Well, let's take a back step. What you could do is propose different wording of the building and pest clause. So the standard building and pest clause has that it has to be by the registered builder. Mm -hmm. You could suggest an alternative wording that says by a registered inspector. Yes. Which would cover you. Yeah, cool. Okay, so we're always going in with a a subject to building and pest inspection satisfactory and we're also going in always with uh, subject to a satisfactory finance uh, outcome, So, which means basically valuation in on purchase price or Mm -hmm. agreed price. Uh, And we also want a satisfactory review of the contract. Yes. So we may not have seen the contract prior to putting in the offer or if we have... We've we've just had a quick glance over it, but it's in the in the hands of the conveyancer as we speak. Yes. So they're probably three of the main ones, or they are the three main ones that I'll always have non-negotiable in our um, terms, regardless of the heat of the market. Now, if there is a little bit of cooling of the market, which is what we're experiencing now, we have a little bit more to play with in terms of. Um, subjects don't we definitely conditions are becoming more and more common there was a period of time there where you really weren't in with a shot if you had any conditions on your offer Mm. unfortunately and that is risky of course it is risky yes but for some people it's a risk they take if they've got uh, really solid confirmation from their broker on their finance and maybe they've had a builder friend go through builder friend doesn't constitute building a pest inspection but no. for some people they're comfortable with that so yes at the moment in a slightly cooling market the it's pretty standard to have conditions in mm. it's neither here nor there but it's certainly and probably one of the reasons people go to auction is not uncommon in a hot market too bad no yeah. conditions. That's right. Best offer wins. Yeah, so let's talk about the auction so it's it's unconditional once we we win at auction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, in that instance, to get around that, we need to get the building and pest inspection done before the auction day. We don't want to get it done after the, that because we've already won it and it's gone uncon. Uh, we also need to have a pretty solid understanding that our finance is good. Oh, yeah. So we're not going over what the broker recommends we pay for something because we haven't got finance approval for it. Now, it's still subject to that valuation. So Mm. we hope to God that the valuation does come in on purchase price at the auction, but it's pretty rare that it doesn't come in on purchase price at valuation because of the transparency of the auction process. Correct. It's very uncommon that it falls short when it's an auction campaign. However, and this leads into part of the organisation in bidding at auction, if you're there on the day and you're bidding and then, you know, mum, dad or a friend, someone says, oh, I'll put in an extra 20K for you. Mm. Really, really, once you get this one, I'll put it in. 
you still need to remember that you actually have to meet that that valuation. So if you've gone drastically wild, particularly be careful of your increments of bidding because mm. usually what I have heard is the the bank valuer will often call the real estate agent and they will ask what was the last bid prior to the winning bid. Yes. And they'll often look at the gap. So if you've done a very big knockout bid, like 10, 20, 30K from the last one, just be careful that might be the price you pay in the difference in the valuation as well. Yep, that's a good call, that one. Um, now, auction style, just uh, I'm getting this auction feel because I'm in Melbourne recording here. <laughs> You're loving uh, it? I'm loving it, yeah. <laughs> might even go to one tomorrow I was going to say, do you want to go together tomorrow? We yeah, can go to properties. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, uh, nothing more than to come to an auction on a Saturday morning in <laughs> Melbourne when it's um, 10 degrees. But our, our style of bidding, mm. now we're... we're out there having not placed an offer at an auction or maybe even not even been to an auction before and now we're really keen on this property for the first time, my thoughts are let's go to some auctions in the lead up just so we get a feel for the law of the land and how they operate. You get your number and you put your paddle in the air if you want to place a bid, all those sort of things. It's almost like a pre-season before the main season starts. Mm -hmm. What's your approach when you're going to auction? I always want to have viewed an auction by that auctioneer previously. So I'll actually ask who is going to be the auctioneer on the day and I'll try and suss out their auction schedule if I haven't already seen them yep. to work out how they actually handle the auction. Mm -hmm. My strategy is varied Yes, depending on the interest in the property, the number of people attending the auction and the market at the time. Mm. More generally, of course, in an auction, you want to be one of two things. A the person the property is passed into with the highest bid. So that means it hasn't hit the vendor's reserve selling price where they're happy to sell. Or B, you want to win. Yeah. Now, it's a very advocate strategy, but most of the time I will stand next to the auctioneer at the front and I'll look out towards the crowd. I want to see who's bidding mm. and I want to be as intimidating as one can possibly be. Yes. I wouldn't say that I'm intimidating by nature, <laughs> but come auction day, you watch out. The sunglasses come out, the wow. jacket comes out. Yeah. It's a full uh, costume. Can you do that tomorrow if I come along? Totally. Yeah. But you know what the funny thing is when you rock up and you're actually not bidding, but you look like you're bidding. Yes. And they're like, oh, she's going to bid. She's yeah. going to bid. Dark, dark coat, yeah. dark glasses. <laughs> so look, I think the strategy, number one, is the bidding limit must be set before you even step foot into that auction. Yep. You are absolutely not making a decision on price in the moment. Yes. That is where mistakes happen. Then you need to work out strategically with your increments – how that bidding is going to play out. You have to be thinking a few bids ahead, to be honest, most mm. of the time, mm. if you are in a situation where there's multiple bidders. And one thing that people really underestimate as part of their auction bidding strategy is you need to either be seen with your hand up to bid. And I know um, New South Wales do paddles. Victoria, we're a bit more chill here. We don't even <laughs> register people. They can call out a bid in the car and run away. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, you need to be seen or you need to be heard. If you don't have a loud voice... Don't be bidding. No. Really. Auctions can often have an auctioneer with a microphone on with a PA system. Mm -hmm. There can often be 100 plus people in the crowd. You need to have a loud voice or if you don't, engage someone who does. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Good plan. Um, so, yeah, you know your, your, your walk away price long before you, you go to the auction so the heart rate doesn't go up and you, you bid too much for that. Um, are you the first bidder or are you coming in late um, at the end? 
And you mentioned before that it changes from auction to auction, but generally speaking, I've got my personal view as to how I operate for investors. Yes. um, How how do you like to go about it? So sometimes people, and myself included, won't bid until the property's called on the market because the rest of it, we're not not really worrying about what happens before it's on the market. We Mm. just want to be bidding to be the, the highest once we've hit the vendor's reserve. Yes. But other times... If I think a property has actually been fairly quoted and I think it should actually sell within the quoted range or maybe just a touch above, I will actually be the first person to bid and I'll start at low. Cool. And it will usually be a cheeky bid that gets outbidded by a vendor bid anyway, mm. but I try and start at low and make the increments small so that the momentum, it feels like a long auction, but you've actually only just reached the top end of the quote by the time you're 15 minutes into it. Yes, yeah. Rather than you know, knockout bid from the get-go. No, it's quoted, like you know, one-to-one-one one and you bid one-one-five. Yeah. Well, no, that's not really the strategy. Yeah, okay. No, that's good. Um, for an investment, 99% of the time I won't go to auction. Oh, won't go to auction at all. Well, it just – look, we don't like buy a lot of investments in Melbourne. Of so there's probably not a lot of areas that do have auctions to begin with. Yeah. Um, now, I shouldn't say 99, probably – 90, 95, yeah. right? So we will have them. But if we if we do go there, uh, I'm generally getting in early mm-hmm. and hard and fast bids that are always in small increments like you mentioned. Uh, so if someone comes in with a bid, I'm going up straight away by my nominated amount, which is usually 10K, mm-hmm. for example, depending on the purchase price, uh, but then walk away as soon as we hit our ceiling and we're done, right? I like the intimidation thing. Mm-hmm. Like if it's if it's online or over the phone, like I've won at an auction over the phone. Mm. No one knew who I was and whatever. I, I, I don't mind that. Yeah. With the same theory of going in hard and fast with your return bid after someone else um, gives an offer. So we actually bought our principal place of residence with that strategy yeah. of knowing, okay, 1.1's my ceiling. Yes, Actual finance ceiling, not just ceiling. (laughs) That is it. Right. (laughs) So we had two or three bidders that were come and went, right? And we just continued going up by 10. We started at 900, got to 1.1. I'm thought, hang on here. I'm either an owner or I'm done here. Mm -hmm. And no one else came in after that. And that was ours. The suspense. But yeah, that's the difference between uh, knowing how much something's worth and getting the emotion in the way. Indeed. Mm. I was once bidding against a dad. You can never win against a dad, to be honest. And the dad just every time, didn't matter what increment, he would go and one, and one. He just kept adding a thousand. And so the the psychology behind that was really, well, he would have just gone and one again. Yeah. So people felt like, you know, he was going to win it anyway. Intimidation. Yeah. So so I suppose the feedback there is have that intimidation, be confident in your bidding, go back hard with your next offer, know what your next offer is going to be. And if you need to, write it down on a sheet of paper so you get your numbers right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's very important. Don't get caught out. Particularly when you are dealing million plus, like there's a lot of zeros going on. Yes. So, Yes. 1.1 versus 101 yes. is very different. Very different. Hang yeah. on, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, in terms of offers, we have previously done a full episode dedicated to how to place an offer on a property. Yes. You might not remember because it's a while back, but it is in the list somewhere. So let's just touch on it before we um, wrap up. Yeah. The biggest thing in placing the offers is understanding the vendor's preferred 
settlement in line with your preferred settlement. The the terms, as we mentioned, we touched on building and pest finance, you know, satisfactory clauses, the price, but you really need to understand and always ask the agent, what is your offer process? Because when you're looking at ones that are best and final, and I'm actually dealing with one at the moment, mm. we were the first party to offer that offer accepted by the vendor means the vendor would be a seller if there is no better offer. Yeah. Then they go to all the other parties and say, you've got a chance to place your best and final offer. Mm-hmm. And if there is an offer from those parties that is higher than ours, right. we won't be notified of the price, but we have what's called a right of reply and we can put one final offer in. Yes. Which I hate. Oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so your best and final is never your best and final. No. So that's why I hate the process. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had many of argument with an agent because of that. Um, yeah, so that, that's really important to understand the process and how each agent deals with things and, yes. and even the type of personality that the agent is to, yes. to know how they're going to act. Yeah, and so then the other one is expressions of interest, which generally speaking is you, you do put your offer forward, your expression of interest forward, Usually they actually physically put them in envelopes. They open them up in front of the vendor and the vendor picks the one they like the most. Now, when you're doing that, I think it's particularly important to add a sentence or two about who you are and what your intentions are with the home because we forget that vendors are people. Yes. They're not just someone who's looking for the most money that they can get from Mm. a property. They do have a heart. And so putting a bit about who you are, whether it's, you know, building a family home or creating wealth, whatever it might be, doesn't go astray to put a little line there about, who you are and what you want to do. No, it's very good. And, and I think that made me, uh, made me think of a scenario we had a, about a month ago where we put an offer in mm. and the agent said, look, I'm going to accept your offer uh, because I know that you're going to rent it out and our property management team will take care of it. Oh, mm. that's a bit sneaky. It is, it is. Well, it's good for you guys. Well, great for us. So also great for the vendor though if that wasn't the highest price possible. Well, I think it was okay. but in saying in saying that, yeah. Yeah. It was a win-win for everyone. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Why not? So, yeah, look, we haven't spoken about if you're buying sight unseen or, Ooh, or yes. buying as an investor, it may not be in the local area. Correct. Right, so let's touch on that Definitely. quickly before we finish. Yep. Um, as we know, we're in 2022 and life has evolved online. We can now view anything and everything online without having to physically be there. As an investor, we, our mindset might be, well, I couldn't care less as long as the numbers add up and the research is solid and whatever else, uh, but I may want to go there just to kick the tyres and, and have a look down the streets and, and talk to the, the locals and, and maybe go through the odd house. Some prefer not to, doesn't phase them. So understand your personality around that and mm. whether you think you need to. I know you've bought property interstate, sight unseen. Yep. Um, I've done the same. I don't think it's an issue for us, but it may be an issue for someone else. So know who you, what you are and what your personality is, but know that your research probably forms online 90% of your research overall. And that last 10% may be just you jumping on a plane or, or driving to the, to the area just to consolidate your thoughts and consolidate your research before you buy. What are you going to find out there that you probably couldn't find out online? Online. Uh, Probably not a lot in my experience. Mm. 
but I would get the agent and maybe even someone independent to do a video of the property internal and external and, and not just the glossy brochure. So get them to look up at the roof, look down at the carpets, inside the cupboards, like a really thorough inspection as though you are physically walking through it yourself. Um, and if you do enough of that, you should be pretty comfortable to be able to do that interstate or, or uh, outside of your area. And I think if visiting the area is part of your research, but then, you know, say two weeks later that a good property comes up, probably because um, I did hear a horror story just yesterday, actually, of uh, a couple from Italy buying in Richmond and the agent was doing the videos of the property. Yes. They failed to mention that the injecting room was two doors down. Oh, no. Okay. So one better could also be find a prospective property manager, explain your investor, yep. you're going to put something on their rent roll, but you need them to inspect maybe a, a handful of properties. Yes. Um, and you will find most of them are more than happy to do that. And property managers have such good attention to detail. They do. That they are a really good person to send um, once you've yeah visited the area. You know you, you want to buy in the area and now you just got to find yes. the right home. Yeah. And, and we use uh, RP Data and Archistar yes. as research tools to sort out all that thing, including the, the meth labs and the yeah. development <laughs> approvals and all those sort of things. Now, you may not, as an individual um, buyer, you may not want to uh, spend the money to, to have those tools, but you've got to find a way of, of making sure A, flood zone, B, heritage, C, bushfire, and what's happening around the place if you're, if you're not actually going to be there. But I would have thought in that example with Richmond, Google Earth would have picked that up by just being in the street. Well, I, I'm not sure. There are a couple from Italy. I don't know that they mm. were necessarily Australian. I'm not sure mm. or familiar with Richmond, but yeah. Interesting. Bit scary. Anyway, so yeah, dot the I's and cross the T's. Indeed. Mm. So I think that sort of rounds out some of the key things to consider when you are sourcing, inspecting, securing a property. Uh, long story short, see as many as you can really. The more you see, the more you know. Yeah. Keep track of what you have seen and what they sell for. Refer back to your list that you've created of your must-haves and what you're actually looking for if you do sort of go off course. Yes. And don't be afraid to be friendly with real estate agents. I think that's a common misconception as you mm. rightly raised earlier on. Don't be afraid to have a chat with them, treat them as a friend uh, and you never know what you might get. Yeah. No, they're good people. They're just, they are, they're uh, just people. They're just trying to have a go. Yep. Put food on the table for their family and get up and do it again the next day. So, Indeed. Yeah, treat everyone nicely. So next week we'll be back with part three, which we're talking about post-purchase, which will consider things about, you know, the different approaches if it's an investment property versus your own and long-term planning as well of that. So thank you for tuning in today. Uh, we would love to have you back with us next week as well to round out this three-part series. And any questions that you have that have arisen from today's episode, please put them in the My Millennial Money Facebook group and tag John and I with hashtag property as well. And we will be sure to... We'll probably do a Q&A following this series, actually, because I, I reckon so. uh, there's only so much we can cover in a short time. And mm. we have gone over time today, but this is the juicy part. Yeah, absolutely. Part. It's a fun part. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week.
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.